Now these are the deeds of the flesh which are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people after God's own possession. The text in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there tonight. I've been assigned the topic, Holy Nation. text goes on to describe that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So you might possess, and not only possess, but you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. You read that passage in Galatians 5 that described all those sinful behaviors, the attitudes and uh, the, the passions and corruptness of the flesh. And then you look at this passage. Think about the world that we live in today. Think about the United States of America. Go out this afternoon, or, or this evening rather, turn on the television. Tell me what kind of things you see. Or listen to the radio. Tell me what kind of music you hear. Or go out to the store and see how people are dressed and how people are conversing with one another how people are disrespecting one another, how there's still crime in the world. Solomon said it best that there's nothing new under the sun. These things aren't new. These things aren't uh, special. This is darkness. And then you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Brethren, I can say confidently today that we don't live in a holy nation. But we should live as a holy nation. We are the church that Jesus Christ purchased with His blood. And regardless of the state of society, of where we live, of what goes on around us, we're going to be tempted by these things and with these things. And oftentimes we're going to fall and stumble We know that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, Romans 6 and 23. We know how serious sin is, but we also know that we've been called to be a holy nation. And I love how the text says that God called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. You think about darkness, you think about 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. John writes and says... uh, This is the message that we've heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves. 
We make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. Tonight, in the short amount of time that I have, I, I, I don't have the time to talk about our nation, the, the United States that we live in. Uh, and frankly, I don't know a whole lot. I didn't, you know, I, I've only lived to see maybe three presidents and I don't know much about them. Uh, I don't really know how culture was 30 and 40 years ago, so I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about the holy nation, about the chosen race, about the children that Jesus Christ purchased with His blood and what it entails to be a member of that holy nation. The first thing is that we're God's possession. If you have your Bible, go over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and look in verse 6. This is God addressing Israel. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His own possession out of all the peoples of the earth who are on the face of the earth. So you consider the children of Israel, and and I can almost picture them kind of like sheep, you know, being led uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land. Uh, how it was, it was such a big deal for Moses and then later on Joshua to make sure they, they landed in the destination of Canaan just like God had said. So I can picture them straying and turning to idols just like sheep and the shepherd has to take that cane and just whack them back in the head and get them back, back on track. That's what, it, it, that's what it is. We're not our own people. We're the Lord's. We're His sheep. That's what it calls us in uh, Psalm 100. He says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all ye lands, and serve the Lord with gladness. Tells us to come before His presence with singing, know that He's God, and that it's He that made us and not we ourselves, that we're His people and the sheep of His pasture. That puts in real clear perspective who God is and what He expects of us. So as His possession, He controls us. He knows what we should do, what we need to do, and what we're expected to do. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 uh, Basically paraphrasing, he says, uh, I, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, because this is your spiritual service of worship. And he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the perfect and acceptable and good will of God. It's important for us to understand that we're not our own. First Corinthians 6 and verse 20, he says, you're not your own, but you were Purchased, or some translations say, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So in the physical life I live, the things I eat, the people I talk with, no matter what's going on around me, when I became a Christian, I wasn't mine anymore. I'm Jesus Christ. I'm His property. The next thing we see is we're not only His possessions, but we're His worker. Look over, if you will, real quickly at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You think about somebody that's a worker, they're going to be devoted. They're not going to be someone that uh, decides to take the job and, and sit and slack off because they're not going to get paid. They're going to get fired. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 9 in verse 62. He said, No man after putting his hand to the plow and turning back is fit for the kingdom of God doesn't mean we have to go into a foreign country and preach the gospel. There's definitely nothing wrong with that, but all of us cannot do it. Colossians 4 and verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards those that are without, redeeming the time. You're making the best of the opportunity that you have. 
We know that works are important not to get us necessarily into heaven, but to show our faith. James 2 and verse 24 says, Faith without works is dead, basically. A man is justified not only by his faith, uh, but, but also by his works. So we understand that not only are we his possession and we're his workers, we're his property. And therefore, we have a greater responsibility not to ourselves and not to the sickness of this world, but to God. Finally, I want us to realize all this, that we're His, his possessions, His workers. That, and it's not a bad thing. You know, uh, the Greek word, and, and I'm, I'm not really good at Greek. I'm, I have a B in the class right now. But uh, I do know a, a couple of things. And the word for servant or slave is the same word in the Greek language. You know, if you're a servant, something about that kind of has a feeling that you want to do something. Maybe that you want to help or, or serve someone. But also, on the other side, there's that word slave. doesn't necessarily have to be negative in both connotations. It's all about how you look at taking your work. Finally, we need to understand that all this was possible, that God pulled us out of that cold and lonely darkness. And that He was the one, that Jesus Christ was the one, that made it possible for us to be saved. If you have your Bibles, finally, we'll finish and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. By this will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And catch this in verse 14. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. That holy race that He chose... You who He chose out of everyone. He said, he said, I want you. I want you to be a part of my kingdom, a part of my household, and I want you to be saved because you're more precious to me than anything. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, we see that though we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then later on uh, in verse 6, the text goes on to say, while we were weak in due season, Christ died for the ungodly. God has given us a chance when we've been laid off. You know, there's, there's a tough time economically in this, in this world right now. People are losing jobs. Uh, and, and people that do have jobs may not be getting paid adequately to support their families. But I'm here to tell you that God can pay you far greater than anything that man can pay you. Philippians 4, verse 19 says, My God shall surely supply all your need according to His riches by glory in Christ Jesus. So if you take anything tonight from the holy nation, look at where you are. Look at everything out there. What you see on TV, what you hear, maybe even the way you act sometimes. It's not holy. God knows that we're not going to be perfect. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we have an opportunity to make it right if we stay His possession, if we want to work for Him and we acknowledge Him as the author and perfecter of our salvation. So if you gain anything from being here tonight, I pray that you leave here the united holy nation, the church of Christ that Jesus Christ purchased with His blood. Thank you. Well, I made a C in Greek, so I don't really know why I'm up here right now.
I have good news for you tonight. I can pay all of your debts. If you have a MasterCard, any kind of credit card debt, I can pay it. If you have any school loans left, I can pay those too. Anything you owe the bank, I got it. Don't worry about it. Just find me after services and just write down how much I owe you, and then I'll pay you later this month. Sound like a good deal? All right, David Minton gave me that note, so if you'll go see him after worship tonight, he'll pay that for you. Now, I want you to think about the debt you have and may not have. I want you to double it, triple it. I want you to think about you have so much debt. Now, emotionally put yourself here. You have so much debt that you can never repay it. Not in a million lifetimes could you ever repay this debt. But what do we do in our society? We might go into bankruptcy. We might call Dave Ramsey. He'll bless us straight from heaven with the envelope system, and we'll get out of debt, right? Well, in Leviticus chapter 25, Leviticus chapter 25, the Israelites were in kind of a different situation because they didn't have bankruptcy, and they didn't have Dave Ramsey, and they didn't, I guess, have financial advisors. I don't know. Leviticus chapter 25. If an Israelite got himself into debt trouble, if he couldn't repay He would have to either run away, like we read in Philemon, or he would have to sell himself, in a sense, to another Israelite. He would have to sell himself to his debtor to pay for his debts. There was no other way to pay for your debts unless you sold yourself or you gave the person the money. But God gives us the standard. It was a form of slavery, I guess, but it was more servitude. We read in Leviticus 25, verse 53, Talking about the Israelites, he shall treat him as a servant hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. So God's looking out for the people that have come into hard times. Then we look at verse 48. Then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. So you can go into servitude as an Israelite, but you can be bought out. Well, how is this going to happen? One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him, or if he grows rich, you know, if he happens on some money, he may redeem himself. But if none of these things happen, verse 54, if he is not redeemed by those means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. This was a year that God put in place, and it happened every 50 years. 49 years would go by, and the year of Jubilee would happen. It was a year of freedom. It was a year that if you had to sell the family farm 30 years ago, it was given back to you. You could go and move back and work your family farm. It was when you weren't allowed to work the ground. It was a Sabbath year. You weren't allowed to work the ground, so the ground was free to grow as it saw fit. If you were a slave, if you were in debt to a person, you were set free. The year of Jubilee was the year that God gave the Israelites, and it was a year of freedom. Now put ourselves here. Why would this happen? Because we serve a God of freedom. Now spiritually, we put ourselves in this situation. How How does this apply to us? We are in bondage of sin, right? There is no way... In a million years that humanity could ever pay the price that Christ paid for us. There is no way that we as humanity could ever pay the price of our sin to God. So Christ came down and he paid the debt for us. There's no spiritual bankruptcy. There's no spiritual Dave Ramsey unless it's Christ. Christ is the only way that we can pay our debt to God. He has issued the year of Jubilee. Now if you will turn to Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6. Now imagine that you have a massive amount of debt. You've been working to get rid of this debt for year after year after year. You're getting, you're getting it done, but it's coming slowly. And the year of Jubilee happens. You're an Israelite, and it's the 50th year, and you can finally be rid of this debt. You can finally be rid of this servitude. You can finally be a free man. But for some reason, you decide not to take it. Nah, not feeling it. Not feeling freedom. Uh, I like being a slave. It's all good. And, and one of your friends comes up to you and says, are you, are you crazy? You've been working for 40 years to pay this debt off, and you're not going to be free? God has paid the debt. It's the year of Jubilee, and you're not going to take it? This is exactly the, Paul, the problem that Paul is having to deal with in Romans chapter 6, because you see these people, Christianity was relatively new, and they were struggling with, do I live in the law, or do I live in grace? Do I have to keep keeping these laws that we read about in Leviticus, or can I live in grace? And so they were constantly sinning, sin, 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 so that more grace can abound, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Why do you sin so that grace may abound? That's crazy, because it says you died to that sin, you were buried, and you resurrected a new man, a new person. You were transformed to walk in newness of life. And then we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are a slave of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now get this. You are a slave to someone. You're either a slave to sin or you're a servant to Christ. You're either fulfilling your fleshly desires or you're bringing out the fruit of the Spirit. You're a slave to somebody. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. How did this transformation take place? How do we walk in newness of life? Well, Paul says it first started in the heart. It was your inner being. It was transformed. And how was it transformed? By that teaching, by that doctrine, by the word. You were all taught. Jamie talked about this morning how to imitate Christ. We all read how to be like Christ. We were taught how to be a Christian. Somebody taught you how to be saved. And we have that same teaching. Now imagine that your friend... One of your friends has a massive amount of debt. He's been working on it for 30 or 40 years trying to get rid of this debt. He's doing it, but it's coming slowly. And it's a year of jubilee. His debt is canceled. He no longer has it. But he doesn't have a clue. He has no idea that God has put this in place to cancel his debts. He has no debt but he still lives like a debtor. This is what we see all around us, isn't it? The trumpet has sounded. The 50th year is here. And most of the people we come in contact with have no idea. Now, why aren't we running out these doors and telling everyone we come in contact with, this is the year of Jubilee. You are free. You you can be free. Well, I think it goes back to Leviticus chapter 25 because he says over and over and over to these slave masters, these people that were the, that the people, the Israelites owed the debt to, he says over and over to them, remember where you came from. I bought all of you out of the land of Israel. A few generations ago, you were all slaves. You're all on the same playing field. Just because you have money and you don't doesn't mean that one is better than the other. I think a lot of times we forget 
that we were once sick. We were once filthy. Romans 5 says before that we were saved, we were enemies of Christ. We were all hopeless and head over heels in debt. But someone told us, someone told us about the year of Jubilee. Now tonight, David Mitten cannot pay your debts, I'm pretty sure. Unless something's happened while I've been at school. I'm pretty sure he can't pay your debts. I can't pay your debts. I can't pay your MasterCard bills. I can't pay your loans. I can't pay the bank. I can't even pay for one sin that you commit. But the good news tonight that, that Christ offers you tonight is a story of God working through the ages to set you free. To clean you up. To make you a new person so that you can walk in newness of life. It's the gospel. So quit living like you're still in bondage and start living like you're free. Welcome to the year of the Jubilee. Good evening. I'm going to start off with a prayer. So you can pray with me. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, most gracious God, thank you, Lord, for this, this day uh, to be able to come and to worship you, Father, and, and to be able to put you on high. And Lord, as, as we bring this day to a close as, as the church and, and we sing songs and, and open your word to learn more about you, Father, uh, I pray, God, for, for whoever it is here uh, is struggling in their life. I pray, God... Uh, that as we come to a close and as the invitation is extended, Father, whether that's they come forward or, uh, or they get right with you in the, in the pews, Lord, that, uh, that this will be the day uh, that they can look back and say, uh, I gave my life to God. And, and Lord, just be with us throughout the rest of this time. And Father, help us to be more like Jesus every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you know anything about me, uh, you know that I love basketball. Uh, if you've known me too long, there's not too many conversations that go by without me talking about the fact that I love basketball or bringing up the idea of basketball or, or talking about sports. And um, that's just who I am. Uh, I grew up, and, and I can honestly say one of my first loves was the game of basketball. And, and I get that from my dad. And and what's really neat is, is now that I'm 24 and the Little League days are over and, and I'm out of high school, is, is to be able to reflect on that time that not only I played basketball, but that most of that time that my dad was my basketball coach. And, and that kind of brings us into the story that I wanted to share, uh, and then we're going to pull out application. Uh, but one of the things that's really neat is, is my dad became the sixth grade uh, basketball coach at Mount Juliet, and so when he got that opportunity, I was excited for him. My mic jacked up. Okay. All right, and so I was excited for him. I was excited from the aspect that to, to watch him start off in the Y, and now he's coaching at Mount Juliet. Uh, but I'm not here to brag on my dad. One thing that I'll never forget is his first basketball tryout. 
okay? And so I'm going there to be supportive, to, to, to you know, be the good son or whatever. And so I'm sitting uh, in the bleachers, and about 15 kids show up, but one kid shows up, and it's one of those things where he shows up, and you kind of scratch your head like, like, what is this kid doing? Because what he was wearing, you're like, is he here to try for the basketball team? This kid comes to basketball tryouts in a white T-shirt, blue jeans, and some D.C. shoes. And if you don't know what D.C. shoes is, Mom, all the young kids like them. They're skateboard shoes uh, if the birthday's coming up. But anyways, and so this kid is in a white T-shirt, blue jeans, and D.C.'s. And I'm scratching my head. I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, what? It just didn't match up. And so my dad does his little spiel, oh, I'm the new basketball coach, an introduction. And then what, what blows my mind is, is my dad says, all right, we're going to start conditioning. And he says, okay, everybody run around the gym 28 times. And I kid you not, I'm sitting here running. And I'm not making fun of this kid. I'm really not. I'm just going to pull out application. But this kid does one lap around the gym. And at the end of that lap, he just stops he goes up to his grandfather. His grandfather's sitting right down below me in the bleachers. And he goes up to his grandfather and he says, he says, I'm done. He said, this, this just, this isn't for me. He says, he, he, he said, I, I don't even want to be a basketball, I, I don't want to be a part of this basketball team anymore. It's too hard. His grandfather said, oh, that's cool. All right, son. And, and so they left. And so I can't help... Just being honest, from the outside looking in, I started asking myself, I'm like, what was it, did this kid know that he was coming to try for a basketball team? And then I started thinking, well, Chris, go back in sixth grade mode. And so I try to go, time machine, sixth grade mode. And I started thinking, maybe it's one of those things that this sixth grader sitting in class over the intercom, hey, you could be a part of the basketball team. And in his head, he's like, well, that's, that's attractive. And then, even take it farther, he might even went to the thought of, man, if I was a part of the basketball team, you know what that means? That means I'm going to be more popular. That's attractive. More people are going to know my face. That's attractive. Hey, sixth grade, young guys, hormones start kicking in. Maybe he was like, girls, they're going to talk to me. Basketball, that's attractive. And I'm just being honest, from the outside looking in, I think we can all agree, we can look at that story and say, I don't think this kid had any idea of how much hard work and sacrifice and conditioning of his body that he was going to have to do in order to make that roster spot. And then you say, Chris, well, what's the point? And, and, and I, I feel like that's us a lot of time in the church. You know, on the surface, on the surface, we hear things like, I can be with God forever. That's attractive. You're telling me that Jesus Christ died for my sins? That's attractive. You're telling me that I have forgiveness of sins through the only begotten Son? That's attractive forever. That's attractive. Being with God, no tears, no sadness, heaven bound. That's attractive. But you see, what I've come to learn and what I've come to find out just doing ministry and speaking and talking to people on campus and people that are in my life, people are so like, yeah, I want to be on God's team. I want to wear God's jersey, in a sense. And they say these things, and, and we're so quick, but when it comes time to condition our lives spiritually, when it comes time to condition ourselves to be better Christians, and we open God's Word, and we see the truth, 
And then we start to see that, hey, I've got to start sacrificing some things in my life. We start seeing that, hey, I've got to be somebody that's got to make some changes. I've got to start conditioning myself better spiritually. And when we see this truth, oftentimes we go instantly into the kid that did one lap and called it quits. We do our one lap, and maybe that one lap is just showing up to church and kind of going through the motions and not really being here at all. Maybe, going, maybe our one lap is, is we open up the Word of God just long enough to see, oh, well, hey, I've got to make some changes. That don't sound appealing to me, and so we close it. And it's almost like we kind of look to God to say, Lord, I want to be on your team. I want to be with you. I want to stand on your side. I want to stand where you stand, God. And we feel these things because on the surface it's attractive. But when it comes time to condition ourselves spiritually, what's sad is our actions a lot of times, it's almost like we look to God and say, God, sounds attractive, but it's just not for me. Friends, God doesn't talk just to talk. He doesn't have anywhere in Scripture where it's like, oh, well, I don't really mean that. I'm just talking just to hear my own voice. When God says something, He means it. In the Scripture, He says, let us run this race. Well, what's the race? It's a race of faith. Well, what is the race? It's our lives. How do you finish? Where is the finish? The finish is when you take your last heartbeat and the heart don't beat no more. You say, well, how do I finish? The way that God intended us to finish. And that's faithfully. You know, if tomorrow was a 10K and we had to meet a certain time and nobody here had conditioned ourselves and we all decided that we were going to run it together, we're going to be a whole congregation that don't make it. We've got to condition ourselves spiritually in order to finish our race of faith. And so we look to God with humility to approach His throne and say, God, I want to run this race the way you intended it to be ran. God, I want to finish this race the way you intended it to be finished. And so how do we do that? We've got to condition ourselves spiritually. We've got to really focus about what is our life about, what is our heart set upon. And then also, we've got to always remember whose we are and who we serve. As we're going to study over the next couple of moments, the idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is Paul saying, hey, when you look yourself in the mirror, realize that you're a soul that has a body, not a body that has a soul. And I know that's echoed a lot from this pulpit, but it's, it's something that if we just get that mindset to have, literally our lives are going to be changed forever. So you look at me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes to me, he says, For we know, now think about the confidence to have that. I can look at my shirt and I can say it's blue and it's gray. It's got many blues. I got gray pants, black, because I know I can see it visually. I know. When you know something, there's a lot of confidence in it because I know. 
Paul's saying, we know that if our earthly house, this tent, what is that earthly house? What is that tent? He's talking about the body. What dwells in the body? Your soul. That's who you are. It's not your body, it's your soul. You're a soul. And then he says, our earthly house, this tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so, Paul, what are you trying to say? Paul's saying, hey, I'm a soul that has a body. You're a soul that has a body. He's saying, can you see it? Can you see the finish line in your relationship with God right now? Can you see heaven? People look at you and they don't understand why we live differently. They don't understand why we don't do certain things that other people do. And our response should be, in the way we live our life, why do you live that way? Because I know. What do you know? I know that God has prepared a place for me that's better than this. How do you know it? I can see it. Not physically, but by faith. Paul says, I know. Paul says, we know. That I'm a soul and I have a body. And this body's fading. It's fading quick. Look to verse 6. He says, so we are always confident. Now think about that, confidence. What con- how do you have confidence? You know. Look at the wordplay there. He says, so we are always confident knowing. What do you know, Paul, that while we are at home in the body, there's that idea again, while we're at home in the body, who's at home in the body? Your soul. You, you're a soul. He says, we are absent from the Lord. And then verse 7, he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. That's powerful words right there. Think about how much of a compliment it would be if the entire community of Mount Juliet described this congregation as that. Oh, Mount Juliet Church of Christ? That's a congregation that walks by faith and not by sight. Think about how awesome of a compliment it would be as an individual for the people that God has placed in our lives, for them to look and say, I tell you what, When they go through hard times and things don't make sense, they stay focused on what matters, which is God. They walk by faith and not by sight. Look to verse 8. It says, we are confident. That goes back to the knowing. How do you know I'm confident? Kind of go together. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I'm not going to shy away from it. A lot of people say, oh, you sound like a Jesus freak. I'm telling you right now, I cannot wait to be in heaven. I'm telling you right now, I cannot wait. I'm not scared of death. I'm not scared to die because I know I can see the finish line. That if God says, Chris, your heart, I want it to stop beating and that sucker stops beating, I know that my Jesus is going to be there for me because I can see the finish. And that's why I live my life differently. That's why we as a congregation should live our lives Differently. I've learned at 24 that I can have the nicest car. I can have the biggest house. I can have the most beautiful woman in the world on my hip. I can have anything that my heart desires. But I'm telling you right now, it won't be 1% of how awesome it's going to be to be with God, to dwell with God, to sing and to praise Him. And to be able to look to the people around us and to say we made it.
Look to verse 9. He says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. That's a challenging question for us right there. What is our aim in life? Is it evident to the people around us that we get up with a mindset that says, My aim is to put God on high. I want to please God more than men. Can people say that about us? Do we live to please others or do we live to please God and then let God take care of our relationships? Look to verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And that goes back to the idea of kind of the basketball analogy that God's going to make a cut. It's truth. Chris Malone didn't say it. It's in the Word. One day God's going to set apart what's holy and unholy, what's righteous, what's unrighteous. People that live for God, people that took Him for granted. People that said, Jesus, I'm going to put your name on high. And people that said, I'm just going to turn my back to the cross. It says we must all appear. There's no way around it. Everybody's going to stand before God. And as my favorite rapper Lecrae always says in his lyrics, if heaven's not a gift, then I'm not getting in. But I'll tell you this. I know I want to be able to look to that day with joy, with confidence, and I want to know. You say, Chris, well, how do you know? This is what I want to know. I want to know that when God looks at my life, that God knows that I gave everything, every day, to the cause of Christ. You know, the devil... He likes to trick us, and he likes for us to believe his lies. We all know that. But when it comes time to find a church home, or it comes time to be a part of a strong congregation, or it comes time to really change our life around and give our life to God, the devil kind of makes us feel like them car commercials. And I know you've seen them. The guy's like, come on down. Anybody can have a buy a car. They got all these nice cars. And, and it's like, come on, you can buy you a car. But at the bottom of the screen, WAC with approved credit. That's how we treat the church sometimes. Because we fall for that lie. We feel like if we want to be a part of a congregation, if we want to be holy, if we want to be uh, 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 people that are accepted in congregations, we feel like we have to come off as perfect, like our life is, is together, like we have no problems, and we do the old fake smile, but really we've had a terrible week. Hey, I, man, life's great. And then we kind of leave, and then we take our trouble back to our home. And that's never been God's design. You see, I've come to realize that the devil wants you to not talk to people about what you struggle with. The devil loves it when a congregation isn't open about their brokenness. The devil loves it when you struggle with pornography or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. The devil loves it when you sit on it. Because God tells us to confess our sins to each other. Church isn't a place of perfect people. Church is a place of broken people. 
And what's really neat is God's design is the idea to say, hey, I'm struggling this week. And then what's cool about it is what you're struggling with, there's probably somebody, especially in a congregation this big, if somebody just comes over and says, hey, I've been there. Me and my family, we went through this. I struggled with pornography at one time. I struggled with this. I struggled with that. And we take each other under each other's wings and we try to help each other grow closer to God. Because the idea of church is not with approved credit. God sent His only Son and Jesus has did everything that we need to be a part of His church and His congregation. The question that I want us to ask ourselves as, as we bring this to a close is where are we spiritually? If your old self, you could talk to him, like say, like go back 10 years ago, would you be where you're at right now? Would you be happy with where you're at spiritually? Or did you have different plans? I'd be leading a Bible class by now. I'd be stronger. I'd be a better father. I'd be a better mother. I'd be more stronger spiritually. What is it? You know, I was reading, I was reading this YouTube. This is this guy on YouTube, and he does these little videos. But something he said, and, and this is how we'll close, but something he said that really stuck out to me is he said in one of his little, I guess they're rhymes or poems or whatever, but he said, men... Propose on a knee. And Jesus Christ proposed on a cross. And you see, the thing is, I heard that and I've been thinking about it. The thing is, is, is a lot of times we don't realize that as he's hanging on a cross, he's dying for our sins. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to say, God, I've had enough. I want to give my life over to you. He wants us to lay our lives at his feet to say, Lord, it's not about us anymore, but it's about you And and I've been thinking about just that idea, the fact that Jesus proposed on a cross. And let me tell you something, that's the most beautiful proposal ever. And you see, I've come to learn in life that when you love somebody, when you truly, truly love somebody, it doesn't matter what they've did, It doesn't matter how many times they mess up. You fight for them. And what's so sad is, I don't know if it's sad, it's actually real beautiful, is the fact that God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. Tonight, as as we stand and sing and, and we offer the invitation, when you sing... Sing to God and sing like a lost soul is on the line. During this invitation, if you're struggling in your life spiritually, the devil would love for you to sit on it. I hope you don't. What an incredible day it's been to watch young guys who are passionate about God, preach the Word. But what's really awesome is that we get to come home and we get to be a part of the congregation that really motivates us. It's always beautiful when you do it way 
or when you do it God's way. If there's anyone that we can uh, help tonight, come as we stand and sing.